So we're going to do something a little different over March. We're going to look at a subject of um, generosity. And uh, we're going to look at the topic of money. And when you hear that sentence, that can be a scary word. And some, maybe some of you have not been to church before, but some of our experience maybe in church has been the topic of money has been really, really scary. And, uh, and sometimes there has been in the church um, abuse of the topic of money. And we talked a year ago and I said actually that there's one way of responding to that is you just don't ever speak about it <laughs> because it's been such a painful topic. And, uh, and we don't want to do that because Jesus spoke so much about the issue of finance and the issue of money and the apostles and the early church and the epistles spoke about finance and money. It's such an important topic. And it's often a topic that's associated with actually freedom in our heart. I think actually why Jesus went after it so often is because money can actually entangle us and choke us and cause us to be fearful. And I think Jesus spoke about it so often because he just, all his agenda was to bring the freedom of heaven to men and women. He came to set the captives free. He said, you'll know the truth, experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so one of the truths he wants to bring is the truth about uh, finance and money because actually a wrong relationship with money can bind us and make us a slave. And so as we, we're going to talk about it a bit this month, but one of the things we're going to do is at the end of the month we're going to take up an offering. And, but the offering isn't going to be for us. Okay, so we're going to talk about generosity, we're going to talk about freedom, and the offering is going to be to bless another ministry. Um, some good friends, um, Jonathan, Louise, Macy, Jonathan's a vicar of a church on Thames Mead. Um, just started, um, began in October, um, a really small community in a vast amount of houses and flats and thousands and thousands of men and women, many of whom are yet to hear the good news about Jesus. And, and in many ways they're starting from scratch. They have actually very, very little. And Paul talks about, uh, in, we'll look at one of the verses, actually, out of your riches you can bless those who don't have. And so we're going to give that all away to them as a kickstart to them funding certain things that they'll need in order to run their Sunday meetings and to be able to really bless that community and be on a mission to the thousands of men and women who live there. And so it's really exciting to do that because actually we're going to illustrate generosity and have an opportunity to do something practical with generosity and it, it kind of loosens us as we speak about generosity because in a direct sense this is not about us so we can be really free to look at what the Bible talks about when it talks about money and there's, there'll be no hint of manipulation or control to get you to do something for us as a community, if that makes sense. There's a real liberty in that, so it does that for us. And also, it is a way of living out the calling of God on our lives to go for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So Amen. Do, do you know that every church is on the same team? Yes. Mm. Mm. 
we're, we're all on the same team. So a win for Jonathan and Louise Amen. is a win for us. Amen. Yes. Seeing, I don't know, Phil at St John's blessed or Wes at the Slade blessed, that's a team win. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing the Tabernacle blessed and the Woolwich Roundabout and New Wine blessed and seeing people, that's a team win. Amen. <laughs> so we're not in competition with anybody. And I think it just, it just touches our heart that we can bless and resource and give and it illustrates that wonderful sense that we're all part of his wonderful church on the same mission to see the world reached with his good news. So, God wants to give us, as a local community, a revelation and a realisation of who we really are. Of his call to us, of what he's called us to had a dream, I'm going to talk a little bit about dreams that I've had, and I realise actually some of them are recent, and it says in the Bible in um, Acts 2, your old men will dream dreams. <laughs> so maybe it's God now saying, yeah, yeah, old man. The pro- yeah, your young men will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. Accept it. <laughs> Told the girls, actually, personally, I'm pressing in for 120, and we're all going to be in the same home together. <laughs> We're all going to go to bingo. You'll be, a, you'll be the young ones in your 80s. <laughs> That's just a personal dream for me. I don't particularly know why I shared that with you. But So I had a dream that, in one of the dreams was that it was on a Sunday morning, and at the back of lots and lots of chairs, there were flags of different nations and different cultures. And in the dream, the voice said, the angels have placed them there. You've been marked out for greater impact. And they were invisible, but it was actually the angelic had placed something in the back of chairs that you've been marked out for greater, greater impact. You see, our calling is, is to raise up big men and women who know who they are in Jesus, who know their identity, who know who they're called to be who know how to access their inheritance in Jesus and know how to access the resources of heaven and know how to bring transformation wherever they go. People who know who they are, who know that actually they carry the peace of heaven, the rule of heaven, the resources of heaven, the breakthrough of heaven wherever they go. That's our goal. Our goal, number one goal, is not to raise up a big church numerically, although if God wants to bless us with that, that's, that's really his... Business. Our job is to be big men and women. That's got to be our number one calling of God. I love what a guy called Lev Hetland says. He says there are lots of ships in the church or in the Bible. There's apostleship, there's discipleship, and there's leadership. But the greatest ship is sonship. Mm, yeah. So we talk about it all the time. I want you to know who you are. <laughs> And what you carry, and how much he loves you, and how much he's for you. And one of the ways that a church can step into their calling, and destiny, and identity is through generosity. That to understand that to, to step into greater influence and greater impact, one of the ways that God gives for that is through the act of generosity. 
generosity enables us to see our own uh, resources in God and bless other people. And so this month is actually a prophetic sense of us stepping through a door called we are called to have greater influence and we're going to step through that door and we're going to do it through generosity because we're called to bring cultural transformation to a whole area. And you don't really need to ask too many questions to say Plumstead, Woolwich, Thamesmead, what's really the mindset that really impacts people and holds people back? We could say one of the clear ways is people think with a poverty mindset. You know, if we were saying, God, if we could just shift and transform one area today, <laughs> what would we change? We would say, God, we would change the poverty mindset because, do you know that it, you could chuck loads and loads of money at this area and actually not shift the poverty mindset. There was a study done of people who won the lottery and won millions, but because their mindset never shifted to a wealth mentality and knowing how to steward it, they actually blew the whole lot. And you can remember the story in the 60s where it's the ladies that said on the thing, spend, 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 and she just spent everything, just didn't know how to handle being wealthy. Because poverty isn't just an economic problem. It's a way of thinking. It's a mindset issue. It's the way that people can easily see the world through. It becomes the glasses they see the world through. It becomes the lenses that people see everything through. And you can see the poverty mindset. If you want to have an experiment, go to eat as much as you want buffet at lunchtime and you will see the poverty mindset. You will see people who will pile up their plate so high with everything. Everything. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I've seen it or not, but I've got a feeling I may have even seen someone pile it so high and they have their dessert on the top. <laughs> and so you've got curry sauce, and you've got sweet and sour sauce, and you've got this dish, and that dish, and that dish, and it's all together. Somehow the person hasn't realised that, uh, that that's not all there is. <laughs> that there is a chef cooking away. And that when the sweet and sour runs out, they do call and say, bring more sweet and sour. But somehow the poverty mindset says there's never going to be enough. There isn't enough. This is all there is. And when this runs out, there's never going to be any more food. And if I don't grab the dessert and put it on top, I won't have a dessert. Because it's going to run out. There isn't enough. And so, the poverty mindset can look like that. It can look like a plate that's piled high out of fear that it's going to run out. Or I'm not going to get what I need. Or I'm not going to have enough. It's that fear of, there's never enough and I'm going to lack even, you know, sometimes, I don't know if any of you like this, you can pick up at atmospheres, you can pick up how people are thinking. Just queuing in Barclays in, in Plumstead High Street, you can almost hear the cry of, there's not enough, there's not enough, it's all going to run out, I'm not going to have enough, I won't have enough. And it's almost, you can pick it up so you think, I just want to get out of here as quick as I possibly can, because you're picking up a broadcast of poverty and hopelessness. It can be that kind of victim 
and powerless sense. It can be a whole community that thinks we are insignificant and we're invisible. And it really doesn't matter. I honestly think a manifestation of a poverty mindset is the dumping of rubbish. I know I talk about it a lot. But I think, what can I do, God? So anything I can do is sometimes I will just get a little grabber and grab the rubbish and put it in a bag. And think, because there's almost a mindset that says it doesn't really matter. If I smash that bottle and leave it there, if I just dump that mattress there, it really doesn't matter, because this place really doesn't matter. Because we're invisible. And you can hear in the area a sentence that's often said in lots of different contexts, it won't work here. In lots of places will say that it won't work here. This is Plumstead. This is Woolwich. This is Tech. It won't work here. It might work where you come from. It might work in Wimbledon because they're wealthy. But it won't work here. And so these are all the kind of things in our culture, in our community, that God calls us to bring cultural transformation to. And we might say, how does that happen? How does that happen? And one of the ways I have often thought it would happen was this, is that if we could just come up with a program, if we could just come up with a program or an idea, then we could bring a change. If we could just, I don't know, mobilise a grab-the-litter group, come up with a human solution and suggestion, maybe if we were just bigger and there were more of us, we could... Maybe we could do more and be more and try more and change more. So God said to me last night, actually, that's a wrong mindset. It doesn't start there. That is a byproduct of something else that's gone before. You're looking for the byproduct. I want to talk about where it springs from, where it grows from, what's the catalyst and what makes it happen. All transformation of society and culture starts with individual believers who get the kingdom inside them. It always starts on the one and the two whose the soil of their heart gets so radically overwhelmed by the goodness and the love of God that another soil begins to start springing up. It starts on the individual level. It starts on I'm going to be on fire for God. I'm going to be passionate. I want to be radical for you, God. I want to be so in love with you, God. I want to be so passionate and excited and revived. I want to burn for you, God, like a fire in my heart that my heart might infect the world. It starts on individual passion of seeing the love of Jesus seeing the beauty of Jesus, being like John in Revelation, and being like a man almost dead as he gets a glimpse of the glorious Jesus and who he is. It starts with being absolutely, wonderfully ruined by such a wonderfully good God. It starts there, of a love affair, of a passion, of being gripped by the beauty and goodness and kindness and grace and compassion of God. It starts in the heart. And so Jesus talks about money because one of the things that money can do is it can choke out the seed of that in our hearts. And one of the verses he says that in is Mark um, chapter 4 and verse 19. Jesus in this passage, he talks about different 
The seeds, the word of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God, the commission of God, it falls on different places. And he talks about in 4.19, he says, but the what, but the still others, like seen sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life. And he says the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Um, and it's like he's saying all the time there's this competition for the soil of our heart. And there's this, there's this, there's this joy-giving seed that fulfills and satisfies and the, the love of God, the fatherhood of God, the intimacy, connection with God. And that seed is falling in our heart. And the soil, there's like this competition between that wonderful, liberating revelation and something else is competing, which in this instance is the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth, and come in and choke the word. God is not opposed to you having things. God is opposed to things having you. That's really what that means. He's not opposed to you. He's not opposed to you living in a nice house and having aspirations for certain things. And he's not, he's not opposed to you having dreams of, of a particular holiday or that this meeting's about you now feeling guilty about wanting anything. That's not the issue. He's saying, I just don't want anything to have you. <laughs> That's the issue here. Because it can choke out the heart and you become a slave to it. And it chokes out what you were made for. The human heart is most satisfied and most content and most joyful and most when it's connected to God and knows his love. And so Jesus is saying... I want you to guard the soil of your heart. I want you to guard the soil of your heart. It's not about doing more, but it is about guard your heart. Guard the soil of your heart. He says, I want you to make sure that you, you protect your heart from putting your trust in money. From being mastered by money. By becoming submitted to money. And becoming dependent upon money. And in another area he says, from worshipping money. Paul says, it's not that money is evil, but the root of all evil is the love of, the worship of, the trust in it to do what only God can do. And in other places it talks about, um, don't, you can't love God and mammon. And mammon is the spirit that operates behind the worship of money. There's a spirit that gets behind the love of money. It's a demonic spirit that actually its whole intention is to choke out life and cause that person to become dependent and a worshipper of money. And so he says, I want you to guard your heart. We can look at that verse actually. It's Luke 16 and verse 13. Maybe what we will do, because we're, we're skipping over verses, another time we might go back and look at them. In Luke 16, verse 13, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money, or you cannot serve both God and mammon. And actually, it's interesting that the Pharisees loved money, heard all this, and were sneering at Jesus. You can't serve both. Now, I'm sure this has never happened to you, what I'm about to say, but it's something that happened to me and Rochelle in that church a long time ago. And we got, uh, we got a little grumpy. And um, I'm sure it's never happened to you, has it? It just, just, just happened to us. And uh, I can't even remember what it was about now, which you often never can, can you? I'm not sure what the issues were, what it was about. But I do remember the day the leadership stood up and said, actually, we're in a bit of a... Our offerings are not quite high enough and we're struggling financially. We do need to take up an offering because we're not meeting, ends are not meeting. There's too much month at the end of the money, is another way of saying it. We need to take up an offering. And I do remember the conversation and I think there was something like, oh, typical. <laughs> typical leadership. There's a management issue. It's a vision issue. So there's a problem here. I just felt convicted by God. And, and we'd, we'd been in the church a long time. Actually, we, just, we were going to give. But we just detected. I remember, I remember where I was standing. I was standing just about to teach. I was in a sick form college about to start my lesson. I remember the exact position I was standing next to the studio booth. And I remember we just decided between us, we are doubling whatever we intended to give is double right now. Because we just detected there was something choking our joy and our life in God, and there was like a criticism, and it was ugly, and it wasn't beautiful, and it wasn't pleasant, it was choking the life of the seed in our heart. So we just said, we're killing this thing right now. Whatever we decided to give, it's doubled right now. Because we are going to steward our hearts. And I tell you, the moment we decided that, there was a loyalty and a transformation in our heart. Almost to the moment. That's why I can remember it, even though it was something that was from 1998, almost 17 years ago. It transformed our heart in a moment and went from feeling choked and restricted to free in an instant because of this issue of money. Generosity overcomes the poverty of soul in ourselves. And actually as we become generous, we find the poverty mindset that got into our own heart, it gets broken where we thought there was never enough. We're invisible, we're insignificant. Suddenly we realise actually there's a freedom coming. And 3 John 1 to 4 talks about a prosperous soul, talks about an inner healthy spiritual life. That generosity brings health to the, to the soul. May it all go well with you in your health as your soul prospers, the American Standard Version says. That you might have an inner healthy spiritual life. And I think that's what happened. There was a prosperity of soul that happened in the moment of a decision for us to be generous. It removes constraints. It removes limits. It sets a spiritual temperature in our hearts. Telling these stories as well about our own finances, because part of the reason to tell them 
is to just encourage you in terms of your own journey as well. And it's great to share stories, because some of you may only just have come to know Jesus, you may only just be taking some <laughs> steps with God, and it's important just to tell you he's really faithful and he's really good, and this is a great journey to go on. Another story was, we just got married, I think we've been married about three weeks, four weeks, and we got given a, a chunk of money as our wedding gift, because we got married in France, so that because we couldn't buy things in France, I've always had to ship them all the way to the UK. So we had a lump of money, I think it was about £1,200 to buy a fridge, a freezer, and everything that we needed to set up a home. And it was at that time that the church was just about to buy a brand new building, or buy a warehouse, and they needed to raise the money to buy the warehouse within two weeks, because it was, a, it was this price and this price for this amount of time. If you don't buy it now, it's going to be gone. And so we were a small community, around about 120 people, who at that time needed to raise, I think it was something in the region of 90,000, really quickly. So that was a lot of money, actually. And, we, and Lower Stock, where we live, is a community very much like here. Not lots of big, big, big wage earners, not lots of people with lots of money. And I know God just touched our heart and said, I want you to give your wedding gift. And, you know, that <laughs> just felt so illogical. Because we needed that money to buy everything that we needed to sell up a home with. And we, we, we did it because we, we said, actually, we are going after God. This will set the trajectory of our hearts after him. And it was a decision never regretted. And actually, that then led to other things that we did. One of them was um, we knew that God had called us to serve other nations. And we, we knew that one day we would be going. We felt like missionaries abroad. And so we began to save every month for eight years so that we'd have a pot of money and after the eight years God did call us to Denmark to a church in Copenhagen who could not afford to pay us and because of lots of circumstances God had enabled us to have and have 24,000 I think in cash and we used that cash to enable us to live in Denmark and serve the church there and on the day we left the money ran out actually it actually ran out on February the 14th 2006 just Never, it was fine up until that moment, just that was the last of it. So, so generosity, it starts in our heart, in the soil of our heart, and then as you get a corporate culture of generosity, you get a load of soil. So suddenly you can get a bunch of 80 people, 60 people, who understand the faithfulness, the goodness, the capacity of God to supply all that we need. You get a generous soil that then begins to impact and infiltrate the community. So as people come in with a mindset of, there's never enough, we lack, I feel choked, I can't supply all my own needs, and come into a culture that's radically different, and, and begin to see the culture of their own soil changed, then people go out and bring that wherever they are. And there becomes a transformation in our society bit by bit. And then I believe out of a culture you get ideas and you get solutions, you get strategies and you get thoughts. But it starts with the heart and it starts with the kingdom of God in the heart. I want to finish with this. How to express generosity. What is your response to all of this? Let's look at some verses in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-12. to God, God is so wonderful in the way that he will deal with each of us individually in this. It will come to us each individually. 
and talk to us about our heart response and it will be different for each one of us and the amounts will be really different for each one of us. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided. In another part he says, I'm not, con- I'm not commanding you. Okay, You decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Anytime we see in a verse something that says God loves, that should really, really kind of make our ears connect. God loves it when we give happily and hilariously. God loves intentional, willing, eager, free, joyful giving. That's what he absolutely loves. He loves the cheerful giver. Not dutifully or reluctantly or grudgingly or seeing God as a burden that we have to carry. You have to be you have to know you're free. You have to know that you are completely free. In verse eight, he says, in verse chapter eight, in verse eight, he says, I am not commanding you. To understand how this all works. We're not going to command you to do anything. Yeah. You are so free. <laughs> you're so free in your heart with God. You're so free to go home and say, actually I do I, do I need to go, give God? And you're so free to hear God say to you, you know what, you don't have to right now. You're so free to give and to not give and to give what you decided with no judgment. It's so important that you know that, that no one's commanding you. God loves a, a joyful giver. You give what you decide. When we step out into this, it can feel challenging, can't it? Because we can all feel that actually, if we did an offering right here, right now, there are things that we could do. (laughs) There are things that we need, and there are things that we could make happen. And it's sometimes easy to be generous, we think, when we think we've got a lot. You think, well, when you've got an abundance, you think, actually, it's easy to be generous when you feel you've got more than enough. You know, if we were sitting here thinking, we've got so much money, God, we don't know what to do with it all. <laughs> and that's not the case. So it's by faith we give, believing that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I, there's a story, and I'm sure it's made up, of a beggar sitting outside the city gate with a bowl of rice and he's about to eat his meal and it's pretty much his last meal, he hasn't got very much else and a man comes up to him and says, friend, would you like to share some of your rice with me? And the beggar thinks, I really don't have really very much, 
So he reaches into the bowl and picks out four grains of rice and hands it to the man. And the man, who happens to be a prince, reaches into his pocket and brings out four pieces of gold. <laughs> and the beggar thinks, if only I'd given him the whole bowl. <laughs> if only. If this is just reading the Bible, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's not that we give to get, but somehow in giving we get. Because he said it there, the measure you receive will be the measure you use. So if in our giving we're using a little teaspoon, I guess we shouldn't be surprised if God says, I'll use your measure back to you. A friend of ours, Colin Potter, who used to lead this church in the 90s, said, I will never speak to anybody about money apart from when they come to me when they're struggling financially. And then I will ask them, how's your giving? Because Paul's connecting it there. The two things are giving and are receiving. In some ways, we can't see what God can supply until we step out and start giving. We were in a conference two years ago and this guy talked about his giving. And he talked about giving away his camper van and he talked about doing this and doing that. And it it was so inspiring. And so we came away and said, we're going to push out our giving. We're going up in a gear. This is exciting. We're going to start giving in a new level and a new way. And we did. And we had the worst financial year of our lives (laughs) since we were first married. When we were first married, we did not have enough money. And I remember the week when we, we, the the toilet rolls were on offer in Tesco's, and we bought a whole, we bought a big bundle because it was a really good price, and we left them at the till. We were so gutted, because it meant a lot. And in this year, strangely enough, we did the same thing for the first time again, that, that, that we bought and left them and felt so gutted. Remember going back in the car to Woolwich, has anybody found them? Because it, it just, it was just, it, nothing was adding up. It was the worst time ever. And then suddenly, like nearly a year later, it just broke. And it just changed. I remember we were saying, have we made the right decision? We were six months in. You know, have we made the right decision? Because a little adjustment on this standing order is going to change it really quickly. <laughs> I can make this happen. <laughs> but we can't remember, no, it felt so exciting. What a stick at this. And Graham Cook, a prophet from Manchester, would talk to his bank balance and say, I expect better from you. <laughs> remember saying that to our bank balance. I expect more from you. <laughs> And it broke, and it just broke in a really tiny little way. And then it broke again two weeks later. And then within three months it broke really big. And then it broke even bigger. Until God, and I don't know what the percentages were, but often it's multiple times more than you think you're being generous that he gives back. But it was a great lesson. And in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 7, um, Paul, when he's talking to the Macedonians, he says this in verse 7. 
page, and I can't find the right verse, but the actual thing it says, according to what you have, okay? According to what you have. You're generous according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Okay? You, nowhere in the Bible does it say to show you're generous, now get yourself in debt. According to what you have, in proportion to what you have, not in proportion to what you don't have. Remember, Jesus talks about the widow and the widow's might. Actually, she gave out of her poverty, and actually, the Macedonians did the same. They gave out of their poverty of what they had, even beyond what they had in their case. Let's stand as we. Say this over us as well, because this is not about some of us have got our hearts tangled up and choked. You know, it might be the case for some of us, but I know so many of you guys are generous already, and you're, you're giving over and above, and you really sow into this local church and the mission we're on. So this isn't really a word of correction or a word of rebuke to us, but it's a word of encouragement to say, oh, there's a door for you guys. You can have more impact than you realise. I woke up on February the 16th at 4 in the morning, and I don't know why I said this to God, but my, my, I woke up and I said to God, tell me what the problem is, then I'll know what I have to do. Which says a lot about <laughs> myself and always thinking I've got to change something. God's response instantly, why does there have to be a problem? What if there's actually nothing wrong? What if it's just the stage of the journey you're on? Good response, God. <laughs> Went back to sleep, very happy. Sometimes, and I had this picture that went with it of God driving a orange VW camper van. And, and I could, he just said, look at the window, look at this, look at that. I'm just going to take you on a journey. What if it's just this? God's saying, I'm just driving along a street called Generosity Street. It's just the part of the journey we're on. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not correcting you. I'm not telling you off. I'm not rebuking you. But I'm just saying there's a street we're going on called Generosity Boulevard, Generosity Drive, because I've got more for you. I've got so much more for you. And we want to excel in this grace of giving. Because I do believe it's a doorway into the, into the more of God. It's not that we buy anything from Jesus. He always gives it as grace, as a gift. But he just wants our joy so much. And he so doesn't want us to be tangled up and choked by anything. Because he's such a good God. <laughs> and he doesn't want us worshipping another God. Because he wants our liberty and our freedom so, so much. Yeah, so, if that was well in the worship, I'll say this. That God says, you know, you've got it. You've got it. I just felt the presence of God here this morning and when Tim just went up to healing and just feel we are really going to be part of a generation that's going to affect this area. And we don't need to know how. We don't need to know when. We just need to say, let your kingdom come in my heart. Let me be good soil, God. And let us be good soil. 
because you said in good soil it's 30, 60, 100 times more than what was planted. So the only thing that really matters is I want to be good soil and we want to be good soil and the rest is up to you. So God, we want to thank you for who we are. We want to thank you for the call of God on our lives. We want to thank you that Jesus, you're driving this wonderful minibus along Generosity Boulevard and uh, you point out the sights and the sounds and we thank you for that, God. And we thank you for where you're taking us and what yeah. you're calling us to. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, we're going to be.